Hey guys, we're going to start with just a light recap this week um, of chapter 8, because really you should be getting through chapter 8 and jumping right into 9 because mm -hmm. of this funky scheduling thing that we got going on, okay? So just real quick, chapter 8, if you remember, we go back, um, Mr. Utterson's at home, and Poole comes, and he's very worried and nervous, and takes Utterson back to Dr. Jekyll's house, and all the servants are gathered up in the basement, or in the, in the main entrance there, um, and you can just tell there's concern, and Poole thinks that Someone has killed Dr. Jekyll and is still in Dr. Jekyll's little office upstairs near the laboratory. So he takes Utterson over there. They listen to the man's voice. They listen to his footfall. Um, and they can just tell it's just not him. So Utterson says, Poole, we got to break the door down. Mm -hmm. So they get in position to break the door down, send people around to the back door just in case he flees that way. They bust the door down, and what do they find? A dead Mr. Hyde. So Dr. Jekyll's nowhere to be found. They can't find him anywhere. They go searching throughout that room and downstairs in, the, in these cobweb rooms. Um, and there's nothing. Just Mr. Hyde, who appears he has killed himself. He was kind of twitching still from some potion that he drank. Um, he's dead. And on a table in there are, is like a big envelope. And there's three things in this envelope. One item is a quick note from Dr. Jekyll to Mr. Utterson saying, if you're reading this, it is... My time has come to where I have disappeared or I'm gone. I'm not sure which one, but something has happened to me. You know what to do. The other one is a letter from Dr. Lanyon, I believe. Yeah. Dr. Lanyon's narrative. That's for what, or no. Is no, that, Lanyon's narrative's in his safe. Oh, right. We already have the safe one. Okay, so then the other one is a new will, and this will has Mr. Utterson's name in place of Mr. Hyde saying, in case the death or disappearance or of Dr. Jekyll, everything I have is going to be left to Mr. Utterson. And then the third enclosure is the letter from Dr. Jekyll. It's his confession, confession as to everything that happens. And again, that one, I don't think we're supposed to read that one yet. We're supposed to read Dr. Lanyon's first, that Mr. Utterson is already in possession of. It's already in his safe. He was given this a while ago, not to be read until the death or disappearance of Dr. Jekyll, as we've seen over and over again. So basically to set this up here, Utterson's going to run home. He told Poole to hang out for a second with the dead body. He's going <laughs> to run home. He's going to read Dr. Lanyon's narrative. So he's going to see what Dr. Lane has to say about all this. Mm -hmm. Then he's going to read Dr. Jekyll's confession, and we're going to see kind of how the story plays out and everything that ties together. That's going to be chapter 9 and then chapter 10. Yeah, and guys, in this chapter, in the next chapter, chapter 9, mm -hmm. I mean, we get some answers. We get mm -hmm. some real answers. We kind of figure out what yeah. the heck is going on. It's pretty cool. Yes. All right. Chapter 9, Dr. Lanyon's Narrative. On the 9th of January, now four days ago, I received by the evening delivery a registered envelope addressed in the hand of my colleague and old school companion, Henry Jekyll. I was a good deal surprised by this, for we were by no means in the habit of correspondence. I had seen the man, dined with him, indeed, the night before, and I could imagine nothing in our intercourse that should justify formality of re registration. The contents increased my wonder, for this is how the letter ran. Okay, so this uh, right right away, it's a little bit confusing. Mm -hmm. So you need to picture Mr. Utterson um, sitting at his house. I know, but he's reading Dr. Lanyon's narrative. So this is Dr. Lanyon's narrative. Did I? Is that confusing the way that I said it? This is the actual yeah. letter. So this is. You can stop it. So this is definitely, this first little section is from Dr. Lanyon's point of view. Yes, it's in a letter from Lanyon that Utterson is now reading. This whole chapter is a letter. This whole chapter is a letter. From Dr. Lanyon. 
the whole chapter is a letter from Dr. Lanyon. That is correct. Yes. And this next section now is a letter from <laughs> Dr. Jekyll to Dr. Lanyon <laughs> that Dr. Lanyon is simply quoting in his letter. Yes. Utterson's reading all this, but this is all Dr. Lanyon talking. And it, when it says I, it's Dr. Lanyon. Right. On the 9th of January, now four days ago, I received. That's Dr. Lanyon receiving this letter. Right. This next letter he's about to be receiving that we haven't seen yet. Right. I think you'll get it. At least I yes. hope you'll get it, people. I think I made it's this complicated. Little... Hate no. me. It's whatever. Curse me under your breath or over it. It doesn't matter. But I think, I think we're on the same page now. Okay. Let's do okay. this. Okay. 10th December, again, 18 year of some time there. Mm. Um, actually, hold on. Before we jump back into this, because <laughs> look, on the 9th of January, right? Mm -hmm. When was it that... Mr. Utterson uh, stopped visiting Dr. Jekyll. Oh boy. Um, I think I could tell you. December. The last no, time January. he saw them was on the eighth of January. Eighth. Correct. Yes. And then he tried to go again on the twelfth and on the fourteenth and on the fifteenth was the last time he tried. And then we see here on the ninth of January is now, when this letter came. Right. Which is four days ago. Right. <laughs> yeah. Woo. So let me let's just I'm trying to paint this picture for you. Lanyon, Jekyll, and Utterson eat dinner together on mm -hmm. January 8th. On January 9th, Dr. Lanyon receives a letter that we're about to go over. Mm -hmm. It was the letter Dr. Lanyon's writing is just four days later. Right. So four days ago on the 9th, he received a letter from going to be Dr. Jekyll. They have this dinner party and the yes. next day, boom, here he comes a letter, a letter that's what, from that's Dr. What Jekyll. He's like, that's weird. Why the letter? I just saw him last mm -hmm. night. Super weird. And I'm like close enough right now to need to write letters, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. 10th December 18 of some year, we don't know. Dear Lanyon, you are one of my oldest friends, and although we may have differed at times on scientific questions, I cannot remember, at least on my side, any break in our affection. There was never a day when, if you had said to me, Jekyll, my life, my honor, my reason depend upon you. I would not have sacrificed my left hand to help you. Lanyon, my life, my honor, my reason are all at your mercy. If you fail me tonight, I am lost. You might suppose, after this preface, that I am going to ask you for something dishonorable to grant. Judge for yourself. Okay, so this first paragraph, guys, he's, he's spending the first paragraph of his letter, Dr. Jekyll's letter to Dr. Lanyon, um, just saying, hey, listen, I really need your help. I yes. really, really need your help here. And if you don't help me, mm -hmm. listen, my life depends on it. My sanity, this is pretty important. Mm -hmm. So remember, at any point in time, I would have helped you. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. this would be great if you could return the favor. Yeah. I want you to postpone all other engagements for tonight. I, even if you were summoned to the bedside of an, of an emperor to take a cab, unless your carriage should be actually at the door and with this letter in your hand for consultation to drive straight to my house. Poole, my butler, has his orders. You will find him waiting your arrival with the locksmith. The door of my cabinet is then to be forced and you are to go in alone to open the glazed press, letter E, on the left hand, breaking the lock if it be shut, and to draw out, with all its contents as they stand, the fourth drawer from the top, or, which is the same, the third from the bottom. In my extreme distress of mind, I have a morbid fear of misdirecting you, but even if I am in error, you may know the right drawer by its contents, some powders, a vial, and a paper book. This drawer I beg of you to carry back with you to Cavendish Square exactly as it stands. That is the first part of the service. Now for the second. You should be back if you set out at once on the receipt of this long before midnight. 
but I will leave you that amount of margin, not only in the fear of one of those obstacles that can neither be prevented nor foreseen, but because an hour when your servants are in bed is to be preferred for what will then remain to do. At midnight, then, I have to ask you to be alone in your consulting room, to admit with your own hand into the house a man who will present himself in my name and to place in his hands the drawer that you will have brought with you from my cabinet. Then you will have played your part and earned my gratitude completely. Five minutes afterwards, if you insist upon an explanation, you will have understood that these arrangements are of capital, capital, capital importance and that by the neglect of one of them, fantastic as they must appear, you might have charged your conscience with my death or the shipwreck of my reason. Okay, so listen, let's break down the favor real quick, yes. right? Yes. Okay, he says, listen, right after you read this, this letter that I've sent, right after you're reading these words, go directly to my house. My butler's going to be waiting there with a locksmith. You need to force your way into my cabinet, but go in alone. Go in there. Go to this very specific drawer, guys, and he makes sure to explain mm -hmm. it clearly. He does not want him to get the wrong box the or drawer or, or whatever you want to call yes. it. Go get this drawer. Pack it up. Take it right back to your house. Your home office is what it is, basically. Mm -hmm. Take it right back to your house. Okay, part two. It's going to be late. At midnight, make sure you're alone. Servants are asleep. Servants are asleep. Make sure you're alone in this room. Somebody's going to come to your house, mention my name, and you need to welcome him in and give him this box. Okay? And listen, I know this seems strange, he says, but if after this point you want an explanation, you'll get one. Yeah. You will get an explanation if you really want one. And when you have done this, man, you will have you will have really saved me. Mm -hmm. And just know that if you don't, that you're probably going to have my death on your conscience. Yeah, no pressure, yeah, but, no but everything bad that happens yeah, will be your no, fault. Or, you know, just destroy everything else going on. Right, right. Very good. Confident as I am that you will not trifle with this appeal, my heart sinks and my hand trembles at the bare thought of such a possibility. Think of me at this hour in a strange place, laboring under a blackness of distress that no fancy can exaggerate, and yet well aware that, if you will but punctually serve me, my troubles will roll away like a story that is told. Serve me, my dear Lanyon, and save your friend, H.J. P.S. I had already sealed this up when a fresh terror struck upon my soul. It is possible that the post office may fail me and this letter not come into your hands until tomorrow morning. In that case, dear Lanyon, do my errand when it shall be most convenient for you in the course of the next day, and once more expect my messenger at midnight. It may then already be too late, and if that night passes without event, you'll know that you have seen the last of Henry Jekyll. Okay, so he's just, with this PS, he's, <laughs> this postscript, he's just, again, making yes. sure that this happens. Listen, if it comes late and it's after midnight, just wait, and we'll do this thing the next night. This, this really, guys, you might not understand this. This reads to me like trying to leave subplans. <laughs> where you're like, hey, there's work, there's a pile of worksheets on my desk. Hand those out. It's the only pile of worksheets on my desk. <laughs> it is also labeled. It's the only pile there uh, closest to the right hand or the only one closest to the left hand because it's the only pile. Of it, you know, it has that same feeling that you're going to forget something. Something's going to be wrong. It's not going to get done, and then you're going to deal with the aftermath. Yes, and if this pile is not here, walk across the hall to Mr. Hopeland. <laughs> <laughs> he will tell you what to do. Someone can answer the question about where the pile of papers are. Okay. <laughs> Just, oh, that's good. Upon the reading of this letter, I made sure my colleague was insane, but till that was proved beyond the possibility of doubt, I felt bound to do as he requested. The less I understood of this Frago, 
the less I was in a position to judge of its importance and an appeal so worded could not be set aside without a grave responsibility. I rose accordingly from table, got into a hansom, and drove straight to Jekyll's house. The butler was awaiting my arrival. He had received by the same post as mine a registered letter of instruction and had sent at once for a locksmith and a carpenter. The tradesmen came while we were yet speaking, and we moved in a body to old Dr. Denman's surgical theater, from which, as you are doubtless aware, Jekyll's private cabinet is most conveniently entered. The door is very strong, the lock excellent, the carpenter avowed he would have great trouble and have to do much damage if force were to be used, and the locksmith was near despair. But this last was a handy fellow, and after two hours' work, the door stood open. The press-marked E was unlocked, and I took out the drawer, had it filled up with straw, and tied in a sheet, and returned with it to Cavendish Square. Not too much there. He goes in, and, and he gets the box. He retrieves it. But, mm -hmm. but he does say, listen, after reading this letter, I pretty much knew that Dr. Jekyll was crazy. Like, I feel like he's crazy, all this stuff he's asking. None of it makes sense, but at the same time, he makes it seem so important I have to I have to do this mm -hmm. for him. I have yeah. to do it. So he goes in, they have trouble with the door, he gets the drawer. Okay, there we go. Yeah. Here I proceeded to examine its contents. The powders were neatly enough made up, but not with the nicety of the dispensing chemist, so that it was plain they were of Jekyll's private manufacture. And when I opened one of the wrappers, I found what seemed to me a simple crystalline salt of a white color. The vial, to which I next turned my attention, might have been about half full of a blood-red liquor, which was highly pungent to the sense of smell, and seemed to me to contain phosphorus and some volatile ether. At the other ingredients, I could make no guess. The book was an ordinary version book, and contained little, contained little but a series of dates. These covered a period of many years, but I observed that the entries ceased nearly a year ago and quite abruptly. Here and there, a brief remark was appended to a date, usually no more than a single word, double occurring perhaps six times in a total of 700 entries, and once very early in the list and followed by several marks of exclamation, total failure. All this, though it whetted my curiosity, told me little that was definite. Here were a vial of some tincture, a paper of some salt, and the record of a series of experiments that had led, like, to, like too many of Jekyll's investigations, to no end of practical usefulness. He pretty much sums up at the end of that paragraph the contents mm -hmm. of, of the drawer. You've got some powders, you've got this salt type substance, you've got a vial with some like blood red liquor in it. And then think of it as a log book. It's yeah. kind of a log book with a bunch of dates and it goes back years. Years. Goes back years, but like about a year earlier, they Roughly. kind of stop. Mm -hmm. um, but where there were years, there were little notes like total failure or double or whatever. So just his his like a chemist notes on those but nothing to really draw any conclusion from. Yeah, yeah yeah not enough info how could the presence of these articles in my house affect either the honor the sanity or the life of my flighty colleague if his messenger could go to one place why could he not go to another and even granting some impediment why was this gentleman to be received by me in secret the more i reflected the more convinced i grew that i was dealing with the case of cerebral disease and though I dismissed my servants to bed, I loaded an old revolver that I might be found in some posture of self-defense. Okay, so listen, again, he's like, okay, uh, I don't see what's so important about these contents. He's got to be crazy. And all these questions, like, he's going to send a guy here to get this box? Why couldn't he just have sent that guy to his cabinet to yeah. go get it? Why did I have to bring it here? Yeah, this makes um, sense. And then he gets a gun. Mm-hmm, loaded. He gets a loaded gun. Uh, this instruction for him to be alone in his office, and this happened in the middle of the night, mm, and all this, all this desperation, he's just going to be ready for whatever happens. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. 
Twelve o'clock had scarce rung out over London ere the knocker sounded very gently on the door. I went myself at the summons and found a small man crouching against the pillars of the portico. Are you come from Dr. Jekyll? I asked. He told me yes by a constrained gesture, and when I had bidden him enter, he did not obey me without a searching backward glance into the darkness of the square. There was a policeman not far off, advancing with his bullseye open, and at the sight, I thought my visitor started and made greater haste. These particulars struck me, I confess, disagreeably, and as I followed him into the bright light of the consulting room, I kept my hand ready on my weapon. Here at last, I had a chance of clearly seeing him. I never set eyes on him before, so much was certain. He was small, as I have said. I was struck, besides, with the shocking expression of his face, with his remarkable combination of great muscular activity and great apparent debility of constitution, and, last but not least, with the odd subjective disturbance caused by his neighborhood. This bore some resemblance to incipient rigor and was accompanied by a marked sinking of the pulse. At the time, I set it down to some idiosyncratic personal distaste and merely wondered at the acuteness of the symptoms. But I have since had reason to believe the cause to lie much deeper in the nature of man and to turn on some nobler hinge than the principle of hatred. Okay, there's some things to work through. There's a lot of big words here. A lot here. of words there. Yeah. A lot of big words here. But um, he welcomes this guy who really he only describes as small. Small man. You know, little man, maybe. Yeah, Mr. Mr. Little Man. Small man. Um, okay. Alright, so um, and he he comes in and um, he refers to this uh, subjective disturbance caused by his neighborhood. Mm -hmm. That's a fancy... Okay, so the, your neighborhood is the area around you. Mm -hmm. A subjective disturbance. So uh, not sure what it's based on but... It, he feels weird being around this guy. Is that how you would say it, Mr. Hoagland? I would agree with that, and I think most people would interpret this disturbance their own way. Yeah. We might feel disturbed differently, but there is some disturbance that will be there. That's subjective in nature. Yeah, because he hasn't experienced this guy before. Correct. He's like, maybe it's just me who's getting yeah. creeped out by this guy. Um, so, and li like, his pulse slows down. Mm -hmm. He's tensed up a little bit, and he thought, well, it must just be some kind of personal distaste I have. Um... So, but then he says, since this happened, I've thought about that first encounter mm -hmm. with him a little bit differently. Maybe he says there's something deeper. There's a deeper reason why I reacted to him the way that I did. I also like how it says the great apparent debility of constitution. Mm -hmm. He's unable to like keep himself composed and stand mm -hmm. there like a professional man. He's, I like that. He's probably got some twitches going on, maybe mm -hmm. some fleeting glances places. To me, that just that That's speaks good. volumes to, to the uncomfortable feelings that you would have standing in a room alone at midnight with a man like this that you never met. Well scary. done. Yeah. yeah, yeah. This person, who had thus from the first moment of his entrance struck in me which I, what I can only describe as a disgustful curiosity, was dressed in a fashion that would have made an ordinary person laughable. His clothes, that is to say, although they were of rich and sober fabric, were enormously too large for him in every measurement. The trousers hanging on his legs and rolled up to keep them from the ground, the waist of the coat below his haunches, and the collar sprawling wide upon his shoulders. Strange to relate, this ludicrous accounterment was far from moving me to laughter. Rather, as there was something abnormal and misbegotten in the very essence of the creature that now faced me, something seizing, surprising, and revolting, this fresh disparity seemed to but fit in with and to reinforce it. So that to my interest in the man's nature and character, there was added a curiosity as to his origin, his life, his fortune, and status in the world. These observations, though they have taken so great a space to be set down in, were yet the work of a few seconds. My visitor was, indeed, on fire with somber excitement. Go ahead. <laughs> Sorry. Have you got it? He cried. Have you got it? 
And so lively was his impatience that he even laid his hand upon my arm and sought to shake me. I put him back, conscious at his touch of a certain icy pang along my blood. Come, sir, said I. You forget that I have not yet the pleasure of your acquaintance. Be seated, if you please. And I showed him an example and sat down myself in my customary seat and with as fair an imitation of my ordinary manner to a patient as the lateness of the hour, the nature of my preoccupations, and the horror I had of my visitor would suffer me to muster. I beg your pardon, Dr. Lanyon, he replied civilly enough. What you say is very well founded, and my impatience has shown its heels to my politeness. I come here at the instance of your colleague, Dr. Henry Jekyll, on a piece of business of some moment, and I understood. He paused and put his hand to his throat, and I could see, in spite of his collected manner, that he was wrestling against the approaches of the hysteria. I understood a drawer, but here I took pity on my visitor's suspense, and some perhaps my own growing curiosity. There it is, sir, said I, pointing to the drawer where it lay on the floor behind a table and still covered with the sheet. He sprung to it and then paused and laid his hand upon his heart. I could hear his teeth grate with the convulsive action of his jaws, and his face was so ghastly to see that I grew alarmed both for his life and reason. Okay, so listen, uh, this person is very anxious about yes. this drawer. He wants the drawer. And remember, this is a time where everybody's super proper yes. and reserved. Yeah. And these two people have never met. Right. And Lanyon's like, uh, whoa. Mm -hmm. uh, slow yourself down. Maybe you forget we don't know each other. There are yep. introductions, and you just need to be a little bit calm. Okay, and so little man even touched him. Yeah. They don't know each other. And like, no. He's like, back off. And he okay? sought to shake him, too. Not just a touch. Oh, like, hey, right. hey, sir. It was like a almost a little bit of a grab and a little shake of the arm. It, like, it, hey, hey, hey. It was, it was aggressive. And then, yeah. and then when he did that, Landon got that icy, you know, yeah. like his blood went cold. So, yep. okay, let's see what, okay. what he does with this stuff. He turned a dreadful smile to me and as with the decision of despair, plucked away the sheet. At sight of the contents, he uttered one loud sob of such immense relief that I sat petrified. And the next moment, in a voice that was already fairly well under control, Have you a graduated gl glass? he asked. I rose from my place with something of an effort and gave him what he, what he asked. He thanked me with a smiling nod, measured out a few minims of the red tincture and added one of the powders. The mixture, which was at first of a reddish hue, began in proportion as the crystals melted to brighten in color, to effervesce audibly, and to throw off small fumes of vapor. Suddenly, at the same moment, the ebulli ebullition ceased and the compound changed to a dark purple, which faded again more slowly to a watery green. My visitor, who had watched these metamorphoses with a keen eye, smiled, set down the glass upon the table, and then turned and looked upon me with an air of scrutiny. And now, said he, to settle what remains. Will you be wise? Will you be guided? Will you suffer me to, suffer me to take this glass in my hand and, go, and to go forth from your house without further parlaying? Or has the greed of curiosity too much command of you? Think before you answer, for it shall be done as you decide. As you decide, you shall be left as you were before, and neither richer nor wiser, unless the sense of service rendered to a man in mortal distress may be counted as a kind of riches of the soul. Or if you shall so prefer to choose, a new province of knowledge and new avenues to fame and power shall be laid open to you here in this room upon the instant in your sight shall be blasted by a prodigy to stagger the unbelief of Satan. Oh, wow. Okay. First of all, you so uh, you do that voice really well, oh, by you. the way. So well done on that. Okay. So listen, he gets there and he, he, he put this, this person puts this mixture together and we get the description of how it all changes colors. And he's got this thing in his hand. He's got it in his hand. He looks at Lanny and says, okay, what's it going to be? Mm-hmm. Um, are you going to be wise and allow me just to leave with this? Um, or are you going to request that I drink this right here in front of you? Uh, think carefully, because whatever happens here, you're not going to be able to take it back. 
Um, and what you may see is going to change you. Yes. It's going to make a difference in you forever. And it's going to really cause you to believe in the devil himself. Yeah. Wow. So Landon's got a decision to make. Is he going to leave well enough alone or is his curiosity going to be too much? Is, is he going to want to have these questions answered? Guys, I'm going to be honest with you. I would want the, my questions answered. I, I couldn't. I wouldn't be know. able to let the guy leave after all of this. Even I would not be able to just say, yeah, you know what? Go on ahead. I'm going to catch some sleep here and I'll see you. You know, no. Yeah. Yeah, I got it. yeah, I would have to know. Sir, said I, affecting a coolness that I was far from truly possessing. You speak enigmas. And you will, perhaps, not wonder that I hear you with no very strong impression of belief. But I've gone too far in the way of inexplicable services to pause before I see the end. It is well, replied my visitor. Landon, you remember your vows. What follows is under the seal of our profession. And now you who have been so long bound to the most narrow and material views, you who have denied the virtue of transcendental medicine, you who have derided your superiors, behold. He put the glass to his lips and drank at one gulp. A cry followed. He reeled, staggered, clutched at the table, and held on, staring with injected eyes, gasping with open mouth. And as I looked, there came, I thought, a change. He seemed to swell. His face became suddenly black, and the features seemed to melt and alter. And the next moment, I had sprung to my feet and leaped back against the wall. My arm raised to shield me from that prodigy, my mind submerged in terror. Oh, God, I screamed, and oh, God, again and again. For there, before my eyes, pale and shaken and half-fainting and grouping, groping before him with his hands, like a man restored from death, there stood Henry Jekyll. What? 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 Okay, so this guy takes this drink and is like, it's face bubbles yeah. and changes and melts and, and alters melts and shifts and, and it goes black it. and it's and, and Lanyon is watching all of this and by the time it's over who does he see his friend Henry Jekyll standing there yeah crazy pops out of nowhere mm -hmm. what he told me in the next hour I cannot bring my mind to sit on paper I saw what I saw I heard what I heard and my soul sickened at it and yet now, when that sight is faded from my eyes, I ask myself if I believe it, and I cannot answer. My life is shaken to its roots. Sleep has left me. The deadliest terror sits by me at all hours of the day and night. I feel that my days are numbered, and that I must die, and yet I shall die incredulous. As for the moral turpitude that man unveiled to me, even with tears of penitence, I cannot, even in memory, dwell on it without a start of horror. I will say but one thing, Utterson, and that, if you can bring your mind to credit it, will be more than enough. The creature who crept into my house that night was, on Jekyll's own confession, known by the name of Hyde, and hunted for in every corner of the land as the murderer of Carew, Hasty Landing. So that's his name, which is fascinating, by the way. Yes. Hasty. Hasty. Hasty Lanyon. Hmm. A little hasty, a little impulsive, a little... Yeah. Okay. So, um, anyway, listen, now we get it a little bit. Got a little bit more of an A idea. little bit. We yeah. don't know the whys and the hows uh, specifically. No. But this guy was little man Hyde, and he took this potion. Drank this down, and he comes out on the other end, mm -hmm. Dr. Jekyll. Dr. Jekyll. And by the way, I don't want you to forget... Um, this is Lanyon's letter. Lanyon is now dead. dead. He, he predicted that. He said, he wrote this letter before saying, after what I saw, there's nothing I can mm. think to do but die. He doesn't know if he believes it. He's still shaken. But after the things he saw, I mean, he watched a man. You got to think about this, guys. Yeah. It's basically like his bones are breaking and reforming to shape a new man here. 
going from, from a Hyde to a Jekyll, small man to large man, there has to be some serious reconstructing of the physical frame of the body, and Landon had to witness this with no real warning, no idea of what's going to happen. Here's what he sees. This, this medical science doctor in the 1800s sees this, and it's, it's so much for him, it, it shakes him to his own death. It's not like he's watching a cartoon or something on a no. screen. It's different. This is happening in person yes. in front of him. Dare I say you would be shaken as well. It would be terrifying. Mm -hmm. Yes, mm -hmm. absolutely. Okay. Good stuff. Okay, trivia for Chapter 9. I believe that's what we're on, right? Yeah. Okay. So your question is, in the correct order, list the three colors of the potion. Yes. In the correct order. And this is a really good question because it's going to be kind of a thing. It's kind of important. Yeah. It's kind of a deal. Okay. Yeah. So in the correct order, what are the three colors of the potion? Yes. Anything else, Mrs. Bigler? I don't. All right. Thanks for tuning in, guys. See you next time.